Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope, that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. It's so good to be here, and uh, Pastor Ryan and uh, Local City Church, man, we're so uh, glad to see what God is doing with you guys, and man, I'm just going to jump right into this. Uh, we plant build churches where there are little or no gospel message, and God landed us in Africa. We're in Kenya, Tanzania, and uh, before 2020 became whatever 2020 is, uh, we were getting ready to move into the East Congo. And so this year, we're trusting God to uh, move into our third uh, country, and uh, God is just doing incredible things. We just dedicated our 90th church building uh, to the Lord, and um, we start by planting churches underneath a tree. Uh, that's how we uh, plant churches. Most of our churches and our uh, pastors in our fellowship are underneath a tree, and uh, then we come back in in about 18 months and we build them a building. Our building is our greatest evangelistic tool. Because of the building, people go into an area and they're underneath the tree for three years, four years, five years. The first church we ever built, he was underneath the tree for 20 years, Pastor Musa. And he was underneath that tree for 20 years. We came in, same 30 people for 20 years. We came in, we built him a church building. God said, Wayne, I want you to do it backwards. Start building the churches. I said, no, God, I gotta find a place to stay. For two years, I slept on the floor. We gotta find a place to stay, Lord. We gotta build a Bible college. We, you know, this is how we do things, God. I wanted to explain it to him because apparently he wasn't listening. And uh, God said, just build the church. And we basically did things backwards. I didn't understand that the, that the greatest evangelistic tool would be the church. And so we built Pastor Musa, his church, uh, 20 years under a tree. And within 18 months, those same 30 people became 200 people. And out of that church, they never planted a church in 20 years. And in the last eight years, they've planted four churches. And so as you can see what God is doing, we're now going in areas where no white man foreigner has ever stepped foot. We come in, I get out of my truck, and children cry and scream and run. Not much different than America. And uh, it's just, it, that's, that's not awesome, but I mean, it, I'm scaring children, but uh, to go places where, where uh, nobody's gone before, to be able to plant churches and do what God has called us uh, to do. It's been a powerful thing. Today, I want to talk to you uh, about the mark of God. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, it's a very powerful verse that Paul speaks. And basically, at the end of some of his letters, he um, kind of just does a closing. And this is the second to the last verse in Galatians. And all of a sudden, he says probably one of the most boldest things that he has ever said. And I think sometimes it gets missed in Scripture. And he said this, from now on, let no man give me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let no devil in hell, no man, no organization, no institution, shame, guilt, regret, whatever it is, it's not going to give me trouble anymore. For I bear on my body the mark of God. I bear on my body the scars 
Not the wounds, but the scars of following Jesus Christ. And I don't know what it was that he's ending with this, with the kind of a greeting, you know, how Paul did, I want you to pray for us and give and everything preacher does right at the end, please give. And, um, but he just stops. And I don't know what was going on. We know he's in house arrest. And, and at that moment in time, he, maybe he looked at the bite on his arm that he got with the snake. Maybe he looked at that when he was sitting around a fire and a snake comes out of the fire and bites him to kill him. Everybody knows that's a poisonous fire. Everybody is sitting around the fire waiting for Paul to die. Have you ever been there? Waiting for it. And for you, waiting for you to make a mistake, waiting for you to fail. And he didn't die. Maybe he reached on his back and he felt the times that over three times, over 40 lashes, he was beaten. Maybe there were still lumps on his neck or his back or his shoulder or his head when they stoned him to death and literally walked away because they thought he was dead. Maybe he still had rope burns from when he got in a basket and they put him over the um, wall and laid him down on the side to rescue him. But he looked at all those things. He said, wait a minute, I don't have awards. I don't have diplomas. I don't have any of those things. But what I do have is a mark from God. The word mark means this, having identifying mark. What is that mark for you? When we understand the significance of our mark with Jesus, the first thing I want to talk about is this, to bloom where you're planted. Where does God have you? Man, I love looking ahead. We're believing God. We are now doing a thing called the Triangle of Hope where we're going to be planning uh, not only churches, but in remote areas of, of Africa, we'll be planting a church on five acres, a school, and a clinic. Compassion International is coming alongside us, the president of Compassion International, and he is going to foot the bill for the children to go uh, to these schools and for them to have uh, free medical care. And we're so excited about what God is doing. And we're so excited. We're going to believe God. This year we built 22 churches. We're building a church every 11.5 days. I want you to know how important that .5 is. It's not 12, it's 11.5. We've worked hard to get 11.5. That we're planning a church and we're building one. And God's doing incredible things and I love to look to the future. We're gonna believe God next year for 30 churches. We're gonna believe God for two clinics and two schools. It's astronomical, our, uh, what we wanna see happen and I, I just get to these goals. I don't know how you do, Pastor. I get to these goals and then I get so excited. I write them down when I start praying for them. I go, what was I thinking? Did I actually say this out loud to somebody? But what is God doing in the now? Are you always looking Ahead, I remember when I pastored, we planted a church. I love church planters, and that's what we do. And I remember people coming, and they would just say, Pastor, if you could just pray for me. Man, this job is the job. It's, it's the one that I've been believing for. It's the perfect position. All these people are up for this job. It's what I went to school for. It's everything. My family will be set up. It's absolutely amazing. If you would just play, it's pray. It's our dream job, please. And so we would pray. They'd get the job. They're so excited. They're celebrating. Two weeks later, they're coming. We now, their dream job is a prayer request. I had no idea. I, I will, this is the worst, it's the people, you know, I get, I get pastors who call me all the time, uh, out of our youth ministry, we have 125 
ministers that came out of there, a full-time minister, married to somebody in full-time ministry, and they're always calling me and saying, man, this is it, this is it. Man, this is the greatest church I'm working for. Man, you wouldn't believe it. I said, call me in six months. They called six months ago, you were right. It was so prophetic. That's not prophetic, it's life. That we forget that God wants us to bloom where we're planted, in the midst. Acts 17, 26 says this, from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God loves you so much. He has appointed, marked out this time right here, right now. Man, I remember when we planted our church and we'd see one person get saved, two people get saved, and I would pause for a moment. I said, I want you to look at this because there'll come a time that we'll get so big that these faces, you won't see them anymore. It'll be 10, 11, or 12. And I want you to see this. This is important. And we have to understand that wherever we're at, we need to bloom where we're planted. Man, the grass is greener on the other side till you get there. And all of a sudden it turns brown because you see everything over there that you didn't see on the other side of the fence. There was a woman pastor, she's my hero. And out in the bush, we were the first people to start building churches for women pastors. And I said, listen, this woman is next, we're gonna build her a church. And they said, no, the men come first. They think the women, they call the women the donkeys. They do everything. They build the mud cow dung huts. They do everything. And we're, we're, we're working hard to make that change and, and get them to understand who they are in the body of Christ and who they are in the relationship of marriage and mother and all those things. And I said, no, she's next. They said, no, the men come first. And I said, well, there'll always be a man. So basically you're telling me she's never going to get a church. By the way, she had one of the largest churches under a tree. Very rare to have that many people on a tree, almost 100 people. And so they reluctantly said, yes, now we've built several churches for women pastors. And, and we went out there to see her. We were going to personally tell her in front of her and her congregation. But we had this incredible rain that came and, and in Africa, the rains just start coming. And a lot of times the rain doesn't come down. It comes sideways. It's, it's a, and wherever you're at, you're probably stuck. And we found a way to get there in this torrential downpour. We weren't able to get back. We slept in our truck. But we got there to tell her that we were going to build her a building. And when I got there, the rains were so bad, nobody showed up but her. She had over 80 people underneath a tree. Nobody showed up. It was just her. And she was all dressed up, and she was just out there in the torrential rain just preaching to nobody. She was preaching her message because God gave her that message, and she was going to preach it. And she was just preaching, and I'm like, there's nobody there. Well, who's she talking to? And we came out of the thing. We had our hats on and our coats. It's pouring down rain. We came up behind her as she's just preaching. We're just waiting for her to get done. And my ministry partner, I said, what is she preaching on? He said, she's preaching on the faithfulness of God. See, we can preach on the faithfulness of God when everything is going great. Everything is going wonderful. But sometimes we define God through whatever is happening and going on in our life. 
If it's a bad situation, it's a bad God. If it's a good situation, it's a good God. If you've got a sickness that hasn't been healed, he's the God that doesn't heal. If you have a sickness that's been healed by God, he's the God that does heal. It's whatever the circumstances and whatever you're going through. Instead of the God of Scripture, that no matter what I'm going through, he's a good God. No matter how bad it is, he's a good God. No matter how bad the situation or circumstances get, he's a good God. John the Baptist literally baptized the Son of God. He realized, wait a minute, I'm not, this is not my job. You should be baptized with me. Here comes the guy, I'm not fit to tie his sandals. And he comes and he baptizes him. And he hears a voice from heaven, a dove comes down like heaven. I don't know if it's a little dove or what, but I guarantee you it was an experience because they wrote about it. So it had to be something that was seen or visible. He literally heard God say, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Fast forward three years later. John's in jail, and he, he gets to his disciples. He says, go to Jesus and ask him if he's the one. Literally heard about the miracles, saw the miracles, heard the voice of God, knew it was the Son of God. But now he's questioning it. Why is he questioning it? Life. He's in jail. Everything is going awry. It didn't happen quite the way he thought it was going to happen. Now he's doubting, is he? even the Son of God. And God, the, Jesus says this, report to him, the same things that were happening before he went to jail are still happening now. We had, uh, we first went to Africa. We didn't know where we'd go. We thought it'd be Swaziland because they had the worst AIDS in the world. And I thought that'd be a great place to build a church. And I was looking for a place to die. I said, God, give me a place where I can go and I can die. See, if you're asking God, Lord, send me, it should already be yes before you even know where he's sending you and what he is going to ask you to do. Your heart is already, it's yes, God, so wherever, you, wherever it's yes. People are like, God, I'll go anywhere but Africa. I'm like, God, I'll go anywhere but America. Please don't, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't send me to a rural place with a bunch of hillbillies, God. Don't send me to the inner city, God. Don't, no, God, just, just please, whatever you do, Lord, don't do that to me. God understands who you are. He created you. He understands the desires of your heart. Whatever he is asking you to do will be a huge challenge, but it will always work together with who he has created you to be. And we got there, and we didn't know if this was the place, and we went to a pastor, he's a dear friend of mine, his name is Pastor Daniel, it's the second church we had ever built, he'd been under a tree for 17 years, but he was the first pastor we met. We started with two pastors, Pastor Musa, Pastor Daniel, 60, 60, 70 people. We now, on a Sunday, have over 10,000 people meeting in 10 years. But then we were like, is this the place, God? And when we, I sat with Pastor Daniel, they did some worship, we ate some goat and drank some goat and some chai tea, which was oh, fantastic. <laughs> and we sat there, he opened up his Bible and he pulled out this sheet of paper. It was this old sheet of paper, it was all beat up, it was, it was almost looked kind of rusty because the roads there are um, 
kind of looks like clay. And it was, it was 17 years old, that piece of paper. Actually, it was 20 years old. God gave him a vision and a dream when he was in Bible college, this little teeny 14 by 14 building in Tanzania, learning the word of God. And God gave him a vision and dream that one day someone was going to come and build him a church building. And he wrote it down, the shape, the size, dimensions, even uh, the stage. And he wrote it all out, put all the dimensions down, and he began to pray. And when he started his church, for 17 years, he pulled that piece of paper out and he prayed. He showed me that piece of paper. Now, we had already had engineered a church that we wanted to build. We saw one there that we felt like we can duplicate. And so we took the size and the dimensions. We found out how many screws we were going to need, nails, sheet metal, sheet wood, the whole nine yards. We knew exactly what it was and the size and everything. He pulled out another sheet of paper where he had wrote, wrote it and handed it to me. When I looked at that sheet of paper, I realized they were the exact same dimensions as the churches that we wanted to build. Come on. I knew at that moment that is where God wanted me to be. More importantly, we built his church a year later, and that church now has had planted seven churches out of it. The church is running about 300 people. The whole community has, has been wrapped around that church building. There's now 17 churches within that vicinity, and there was only one when we started. Can you imagine the very definition of bloom where you're planted is a man that pulls out a paper and prays over it? that dream every single day for 17 years. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, for 17 years he was waiting on God to fulfill a dream. Are you that individual? Can you be that person that says, God, I will continue preaching though I don't see the things that you have promised, the things that you told me to write down, God. I haven't seen them yet in my business, in my workplace, in my marriage, in my children. But I'm believing you, God, and I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. The second thing is this. You need to throw off every other mark. Hebrew 12, 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You're in a race. But relax, because the prize, there's a prize for every single person. You're not running for somebody else's prize. It's your prize. My prize is planting and building churches. My prize is my 34-year marriage to my smoking hot Puerto Rican wife. If you think, I know you're looking at me going, well, how pretty can she be? Go outside and get on my social media and look at my wife. I'm an overachiever. I've always been an overachiever. How many of you heard you don't have what it takes? I wish you were more like your brother. I wish you were more like your sister. I wish you... Really, you're going to start another business? Didn't the other one fail? Haven't you learned? Really, you're going into ministry? Really? 
Listen to me. Look at me. They were wrong. They were wrong. I can't tell you. If I had a nickel every time somebody told me this ministry wouldn't work, I'd already have all the money. I wouldn't need you. Really? But you're not going to live there? You're going to stay? My denomination was like, this is not going to work. <sighs> okay. But we kept plugging along. We kept moving. We kept going forward. We didn't listen to those. Now, listen, I'm all about wise counsel. Okay? But you need to find some people that can come alongside you, that can hold up your arms, not tie them behind your back. And I don't care what they've said. You need to listen to what God has said about you. That you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. That he chose you. That he loved you first before you loved him. Now you may go, yeah, but I kind of loved him. Let me explain something to you. Let me just freak you out just a little bit more. That God actually loves people that will never, ever, ever love him back. They will never acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords. They will spit on him. They will deny him to their grave. Yet he first loved them and will love them till they breathe their last breath. How much more the acceptance of you who follow him and love men. God says the father gives good gifts to his children and God wants to bless you. All right, listen, we had this, we've been started building this church up in an area called Loita Hill. Loita Hill is full of witchcraft, witch up. Man, we go to places and the witch doctors are there, they're fighting, they won't let us have the land and they're on the communities and, and uh, we've, we've had Muslims, we love Muslims, we love Muslims. And they're sitting on their mats, it's a weird thing to see people sitting on a mat in the middle of safari, in the middle of the bush, praying against what we were doing. I love it because, man, I'm just like, oh, God, I can't wait till they get saved. I can't wait till they experience the unconditional love of you, the Father, and the witch doctors. And so, man, I got up, and, and uh, one, one night I was there. We just dedicated a church. It was Sunday night, Monday morning. We're getting ready to buy all materials. We're there three weeks. We built three churches. I can build a church in five days. And we're... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having, I had the worst night of my life, and that is saying a lot, okay? I, I have run from Colombian drug, I've, I'm a, I've, I've had some rough days. This was the roughest. I actually, now we, I'm out in the bush, and it's, um, I got 18 acres that was given to me by the community, uh, 10 buildings, we have a clinic that's ministered to people, a school, a award-winning school of 1,000 kids. God's just doing incredible things. But at night, you know, it, I'll put it to you this way. If you get bit by a snake, just sit down because you're about to meet God. You poison a snake, it's over. There's nothing there. You understand what I'm saying? There's, it's, it's just, if you have a heart attack, just, it's, it is what it is. You're going home. Not home to America. You're going home to Jesus. There's just, and it, it can be very fearful. It really can. I don't care how hard, strong you are. It, it, can, it can be a little overwhelming. And I actually, that night, felt like I was actually having a stroke. 
the spiritual attack of the enemy was so strong. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm not the guy that, uh, I've been in 40 different countries. I've seen a lot of things and uh, witchcraft, voodoo. I've done funerals where witchcraft threw shoes at me and spit on me. I've seen it all. And, and I just don't get too overwhelmed with all of that. And maybe I should uh, in the sense of praying. And it just was so bad. I'd close my eyes. And it was like those kaleidoscopes. Just I couldn't keep my I stayed up all night. I prayed. I called my wife. She's my prayer warrior, my best friend. And I said, I can't sleep. I don't know what's going on. I literally thought physically something was happening. I didn't want to tell her that. And she says, I'm going to call our friends. We're going to start praying. And she did. We started praying. I stayed up all night. The sun was coming up. I felt some release. We went and bought the materials. And my minister friend, we sat down to eat. And he said this. He said, listen, we're going to an area of witchcraft. I said, okay. And he said, and we hadn't gone to any of those places yet. He says, up on Loito Hill. And he says, this is what they do. He says, they're mixing the Bible and witchcraft. I go, okay. What, what does that mean? And he said, they're uh, taking the Bible and they're taking bones and they're throwing them on the Bible and then they're prophesying to the people and the people are giving them money. And this is happening in the church. He said, yes, it's happening in church. It's really bad. You need to be prayed up. I'm like, okay. So I'm going home. I call my wife and I think, this is what was happening last night. The enemy doesn't want us to go there. And so we um, just... And I, so I called Denise. I told her the whole situation. I told her what uh, my ministry partner, Pastor Caluso, said. And she goes, did you read what Matt wrote, the dream he had? I said, no. He put it on uh, your message for Facebook. Last night, I told them to pray. And, and they prayed. And God gave him this dream. You need to read it. I said, all right. So I went on Facebook. I went to direct message. And I clicked it up. And my, Matt's my friend. We're close. We're, we're uh, partners in, in ministry as far as mentoring and and, and whatnot, and, and he said, hey, I had this dream, and I don't know what it means. It's kind of weird, but I want to um, uh, share it with you. He said, there was these angels above this group of people, and there was a pastor down there with a Bible in front of him. And he said, it looked like he was throwing dice on the Bible, but as the dream got closer to him, it was bones he was throwing on the Bible. And he said, God's telling me this is what you're about to face. Never told him what we were about to face. Come on, somebody. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, this is it. Another lady said, I'm praying Isaiah chapter 61 over you in this area. The next day, we go to this area. I am pumped because I know God's in this whole thing. And so we get out there, and um, the first church, we had two churches we were going to meet under a tree. The first church under the tree, the pastor gets up, opens up his Bible and said, God gave me a chapter. I want to read it. It's Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm like, yes! And so, man, I told them the whole dream. They got so excited. Fast forward seven churches later. God told me, he says, Wayne, if you build 100 churches there, I'll rectify this whole problem. And I said, all right, something that's been happening for generations. When I got done out of there, I went to New Hampshire, and I told them, uh, about Loita Hill. The pastor got up. I didn't tell him about the 100 churches. A pastor got up, and he says, I feel like God's telling me we need to build 100 churches on that mountain. And I'm like, God is in this thing. Seven churches later, we are revolutionizing this area. The number one witch doctor, this man right here, 94 years old. He is famous. His, his picture's in parliament with the president of Kenya, the last two presidents of Kenya. He is famous. People come to him. They buy him stuff. The governor built him a house. 
He says, I want to meet the Muzungu, which is white man. I want to meet the Muzungu who's building churches on my hill, my mountain. I mean, no, that's God's mountain. So I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, all right, no, I'm not going to die from the hands of a 94-year-old man. 27, okay, but not. And I get there. And there he is underneath a tree. And we go up, we pull up our chair, chair beside him. And he said, I called you here because I want you to pray for me. No missionaries ever sat down with him, ever. Him or his dad, who died at 94 and did what he did. Generations after generations, over 600 family members. He's got 150 children and grandchildren. Five wives. I don't know why, but five wives. He says, I want you to pray for him. We laid hands on him, and we prayed over him that God would heal him. And then we gave him a Bible. He's holding it. I got a picture of him opening it. We were going to a church that had been a church for 20 years, 10, about 10 miles away, 10 kilometers away. We went in and had chai tea. We came back out. He was walking around. He says, I have no more pain in my body. He says, I want you to come back. I said, we can't come back. We're meeting all these churches under here, but we'll come back another day. And so we were meeting this church underneath a tree. The guy that was interpreting for me was one of his sons, his youngest son, who's a pastor. And he says, my whole family, 43 of us, we're out of all those people, we're, the, we're saved. And we have a church here, but he won't let us build a building. We've been under this tree for 20 years. I said, I'm coming back and I'm building you a building. He okayed it. And we just dedicated that church building to the Lord. Sometimes you got to throw off fear. You got to throw off pain. You got to throw off everything that would keep you from moving forward in God. The third thing is this God has got this. Psalm says this don't touch my anointed, do not harm them. They are mine and they bear my mark. If you touch them, you touch me. And I know this was talking about kings and some people use it as pastors, but let me say something. We're all God's children. And God says, if you touch my children, you've touched me in a good way or a bad way. Mark 6, the disciples, when the sea began to roar, the Bible made a statement. It's probably the, the worst statement in all the Bible. And it said this, they did not even consider the miracle. They considered not the miracle. They never even considered it. And they had been with Jesus all that time. In the middle of your situation, in the middle of your struggle, you have to first consider the miracle of God. Job 37, 14 says, listen to this, Job, stop and consider. Psalm 77, 12 says this, I will consider all your works. Hebrews 12, 3 says this, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. 
I remember the miracles, the 18 acres that were given to us, the clinic, the churches every 11.5 days. I remember all those things when we're facing all the stuff that we have faced. And lastly, you need to leave a mark. Put up that last picture, please. This is Pastor Musa's land, first church I built. My friend took that picture. I didn't even have money to go on this trip. This is a trip where I met Pastor Daniel. I didn't even have the money. We hadn't even met Pastor Daniel yet. First person we met was Pastor Musa. And my friend who paid for this trip, a pastor in St. Pete, paid for this trip. We both came. And I walked out here because all I had was this dream. That's all I had. I didn't have any money. We had nothing. We started this missions organization with one check, $700. I don't know any rich people. I wish I did. If you're rich, I'd love to get to know you. I don't have any of that. It's people like you that's built this church. It's the church that's built the church. And I sat out there, and I like, God, I... I just want to leave a mark. Now, I've left some not-so-nice marks. I've had to apologize to my children, my wife. I'm an alcoholic. I fight it every day. My ministry is ministering to other alcoholics. Every day. I fight, and I know some people say, oh, if you're a Christian, you're no longer an alcoholic. You can label it whatever you want. That's my struggle. I bet you got one. That's mine. So I know what it feels like to fail. I know what it feels like to have shame and guilt, yet still have a dream. I've left some not-so-nice marks, but... I've left some good ones. Because see, I'm not just the bad marks I've left. I'm the good marks I've left. See, these aren't wounds anymore. You can't, you can't come to me and say, well, that's terrible. You're horrible. You can get over that. I've got over that a long time ago. You ain't pulling me back there. That's a scar. It's not an open wound. You can try to open it back up. It ain't going to happen. Fast forward 10 years later, 10,000 people in churches, 90 church pluses. We're being ready to build four more in three weeks. We've never done that. I actually have too much money. I can't build all the churches this year. I literally ran out of time. Relax, I still need your money. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because that day God said, I want you to build a thousand churches here. Over 150 to 200,000 people every Sunday in churches. And we began the process. Our first year, we built three churches. I thought I died and went to heaven. I thought three churches. And this year, we'll build 22. Next year, Lord willing, 30. I want to leave a mark for God. First, I want to leave a mark on my marriage. I want to leave a mark on my children. I want to leave a mark on my ministry. 
my goal today was leave a mark on you. A mark that would get you to walk out of here and say, I can bloom where I planted even though I don't like where I'm at. Then I'm going to throw off everything that hinders me from doing what it is that God has called me to do. And God has got this. Whatever your this is, God's got it. God's got it. And you're going to leave a mark that you're going to look back on and say, look what God has done. And you'll see the fingerprint of God on everything. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I want to say thank you for your goodness and your mercies. I want to say thank you, Father, for all that you have done. God, leave your mark on your people today, God. Would you minister to them and touch them, Father? In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us on The Local Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to local church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to local.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.